You're listening to Something Real, connecting the reality of God to the realities of life. On today's Something to Talk About, we are in getting into Luke chapter 21, um, and in this section, it talks uh, on the surface about giving, um, but deeper than that, uh, what our discussion leads into and what the message was on Sunday, um, it's essentially that you can try to fool everybody and you're not fooling God. <laughs> so that's that's the foundation of our talk today, and I hope you guys enjoy this episode. So, yeah, we're going to start that recording right up, aren't we? So, yeah, <laughs> that's a great way to start a podcast. We're getting really so, good yeah. at the pointless nonsense uh, beginnings here. Do you feel like you're a part of this now, people? <laughs> Welcome to the chaos. Welcome. Welcome. We are To the Luke. electro circus that is the Something Real podcast. Whoa, that should be on a t-shirt. <laughs> It should, have, it should light up nice. like those ugly Christmas sweaters. We are still in Luke. For a minute. For a minute or so. Do you think we're We've gonna, been here a minute. Do you think we're going to be in Luke until Christmas? Yes. Which is appropriate. Yeah. And then I think we'll promote Luke during Christmas. I think a number of people have probably seen going around on Facebook. The oh, my mom brought that up to Little me. meme talking about... Little meme. That was my nickname in high school. <laughs> Stacy's nickname in high school. Little meme. Uh, that if you read a chapter of luke every day through christmas it takes you up to you know through christmas eve so uh, we'll probably promote that as a follow-up to this just as a side deal appropriate but now we are in uh, oh shoot are we in 21 yet we are we're we 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 are 20 for a while picking up the the last paragraph or so of 20 and rolling into 21 and then uh, we'll take a a week off as we worship through music and movement, um, and then we'll come back to Luke the following week. Yeah, side note, if you, um, obviously if you're watching this live stream, you get our live stream. So tune in this Sunday. We have uh, Imagine Worship from Dance Arts in Stevensville, Michigan, coming to perform, and that's always mm-hmm. a really good time. Yeah, it, it really is. It's a, it's a beautiful opportunity to be able to engage in, in worship through the arts, uh, through physical movement, um, Miss Sarah does a terrific job of putting together a program that it's not just random dance or performance per se. Um, <clears throat> it's uh, it, it, the whole the whole of it works together uh, to promote Christ, and so they they take their uh, Imagine Worship dance team around. My daughter's a part of it. My niece is a part of it. And they uh, they have a tour week where they visit uh, various locations, uh, a lot of nursing homes and, mm-hmm. and other places, and they share Jesus through dance. And so it's a pretty cool uh, situation. Then they do a number of churches. There are only a handful of us where they do you know the the bulk of the service. Right. More often they do two, three, four songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they'll do I think their whole slate if we have have room for it. One of the nice things for them artistically and instructionally is they. The dancers have to learn to adapt to their choreography right, to right. what the what the venue allows, and sometimes it's uh, a small venue, sometimes it's a big. Ours is medium, but it's got a, a multi level stage, so they have to yeah, figure out how to. Yeah, I don't want to gonna... be broken ankles. No, no, we'll do some <laughs> we'll do some adapting on our, our end as well. Uh, so I'm really excited about it. They, there's some really cool things, but to be able to uh, bring it there, they do um, a dance to "Great Is Thy Faith," "Great Is Thy Faithfulness," which mm. is uh, all instrumental, I believe, but it, it's just a tremendous expression physically right. of our gratitude 
to God. And, and then on October 6th, um, they'll be back uh, in the evening for a special night of worship. Um, I call it a worship concert, I guess, where they will do uh, the Imagine pieces, but it's also it's Tapestry Dance mm-hmm. Company out of Chicago, which Masera is also part of. Uh, that is a specifically Christian dance company, so they'll do a, a whole night of worship nice. concert performance, recital, whatever you call it in this particular setting. So if you're in the area, um, either this Sunday or October 6th, stop by Real Life, or you can watch it on the uh, live stream here if you're not. So um, with that, let's get into uh, Luke chapter 21 here, and um, I'm looking at your Bible right now, and and the heading on this is the widow's offering. Um, And... This was, for me, another area of conviction, Mm. (laughs) as I would assume it was for a lot of people, I hope. Um, The idea of, I think this has played out in pop culture as well, movies, stories, things like that, of of sacrificing something that you don't necessarily have a lot of, Mm. or or giving your last of something um, for a better cause and this in in my opinion is kind of the ultimate display of that just hmm. giving your last of something to god and uh, for and most of us that seems to be more of an aspirational value right we, we, we right. see that we think that's a a very worthwhile thing right. we love to go we to, understand like you said, we understand the the meaning of it yeah. the, the, we hear those stories of sacrifice right, and right. we admire such a thing right. but we don't generally want to do it right <laughs> the right. sacrifice is a great thing to admire from afar. There's a it's fear. There's a fear behind yeah. it, and there's not only a fear, but there's a. I think it's, I won't say this just Western culture thing because I think it's all over the world. There's a. This is mine. This is my money. This is my whatever, and yeah. I want this and this and this and this, and I'm not gonna you know give up this much. Yeah, I think there's a, a. No matter what your culture, I don't. I don't. I can't speak to other cultures, but I think no matter what your culture, the sin nature is still in us, and yeah. that. That tendency toward possessiveness, I mm-hmm. think, is a normal human condition issue. So, when one of our uh, our missionaries, Heather uh, Shamanic, came back uh, a couple weeks ago and spoke briefly about their time in Costa Rica this last time, and I believe she's talking about uh, a woman there that they had nothing, hmm. and I think they had kids and everything, and people, and she said, "How do you how do you do this with no money? Just how right. do you?" And uh, the woman just said, "You know, people give us food and, and provide for, it. and they just had this." Mm-hmm. Uh, underlying faith that just worked and right. and that's not easy for us to have yeah and even even heather expressed that and their perspective changes a lot of things you know whenever we're whatever it is that we're used to we think that's the norm and so like in america we think you know if, if we're having a little bit of a struggle covering our cable bill you know we're poor <laughs> you know if we can't right. get the the latest pair of shoes or we can't get the uh, what the coolest car or, or whatever else? Um, oh, I can't really afford that latte this morning. You know that we feel like that's a real struggle for us. We have an economic downturn in 2008, 2009, and it's the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Everything is crashing down. When there are literally people around the world who don't have shoes, you know, children not wearing much for clothing because they're sleeping in a shack, mm-hmm. and that's the entire village. You know, it's just it's perspective changes everything. Sure. And so that's kind of what this section is about. Um, when, when we're going into this, I really was expecting to do a sermon on giving. Mm-hmm. And um, 
as we're going through, one of the one of the questions we always want to ask when we're looking at the scriptures and trying to to exegete the text to to break this down is what is surprising about it? What in this seems unusual or out of place? You know, we want to we want to ask basic questions, but we want to eventually get to the uh, deeper questions of, of why. Why is it like this? Why does he say this thing? And why does he say it here? And that kind of question really kind of grabbed me with this um, because we're going through and, and Jesus, it, it, in this whole section, there's a, a kind of a contrast between perception and reality. And we had uh, been looking at uh, the authority of Christ as king and the coming kingdom and all of these things kind of kind of came up. And so then we're talking about paying taxes to Caesar and the Sadducees try to trap him with the resurrection and marriage question. And Jesus um, then poses to them the question of the, the identity of the Messiah. How can David call him his son, or call him Lord and call him his son both? What's going on here? And he kind of leaves that hanging. And then, you know, the warning uh, against uh the, the nature of the teachers of the law who like the prominence and like all of the accolades, but they're devouring widows' houses. <clears throat> and then this widow, he looks up, he sees the rich bringing their, their gifts, and, and then that's normal and good. And then he sees this widow. No coincidence that he's just talking about these people devouring widows' houses. Right, and then yeah, yeah, talk, because talk the, about a these widow. religious leaders that, right. that he's talking to, these are right. wealthy people. Right. Like in the next sentence, a so widow is giving while up. They're, while they're talking, it says, as Jesus looked up, he right. saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. And he doesn't condemn them at all. Um, and he doesn't condemn them for being rich. He doesn't condemn the religious leaders for the things they do right. He mm-hmm. condemns them for their hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. Um but then you know this, he focuses in on on this woman who gives two small copper coins. It's it's a pittance. It's nothing, but it's everything to her. And so, why is that here? And the, and the next thing that we start to look at is Jesus is talking about the destruction of the temple, the signs of the end times, and and what's going to come. And how does this fit? And so, in looking back at it, it's sort of panning out. What really ties this whole section together is the idea of the contrast between reality and perception. So when it actually came to preaching the sermon, um, it shifted. So it was no longer a sermon on giving that was included, but it became more of a sermon about reality, about getting down to brass tacks, not... um, not pretending, not the facade, not the appearances, but what is real. And that's what, you know, from before this, before looking at the taxes, but looking at his authority, all of these things that Jesus is doing, he's bringing out the difference between uh, our human perception, our earthly perspective, and the reality that is eternal and unseen, the truth of God as written into the code, so to speak, of all of creation. Everything is rooted in reality. Even when we maybe are are seeing things one way, Jesus is saying it's not always what, what it seems. You might see this, but I'm telling you, it's really this. And so you see the authority of Caesar, and that's fine in its place. He has a certain authority, and recognize that. Mm-hmm. But there's a greater authority in God. Give to Caesar what what you owe to Caesar, and you do owe Caesar something. Mm-hmm. But give to God what is owed to him, and that's everything. So this constant 
back and forth between here's what you see and, and you know it's a lot like the sermon on the mount when jesus says you've heard this but i tell you mm-hmm. it's not he's not changing things he's saying yeah you're getting part of it but you're missing the bigger picture you're not seeing the whole of right. what is true and real so then in this you know we start out our, our, our core reality that, that um kind of the statement of drawing this together is that we might fool ourselves or others but we never fool god god sees through the way things appear he looks at our hearts and sometimes we'll allow that in our minds to be some sort of a cop-out or or a defense well you know yes i sinned but god knows i'm doing my best he sees my heart yeah he sees your heart and knows that you're wicked and that your best can never measure up so it's it's not so much that um it's much less of god gives me a pass because he sees my heart although there can be a certain comfort in it that when i am seeking to do right and I'm seeking to honor God and I mess something up, right. he's not looking to trip me up. Right. He, he's looking for, for my giving of myself, my holiness, my being set apart for him. But there's a recognition that in reality, in actuality, aside from whatever I might think or tell myself inside to comfort myself or what the world tells me, it's not a comparative standard. It's not a matter of, well, I'm doing better than this person, or I'm doing even right. I'm doing better than I was. That's not the standard. The standard is perfection. Are you as and holy as God? Are you as as completely other as God, or as God has expected and demanded from the creation of humanity? And the answer, of course, is no. And what makes it extra scary is He sees past us to our motives. So these who are giving their gifts to the church, they're, they're unquestionably giving at least their time. And doing the right thing. Right. Yeah, they're doing the right thing. They're, they're... You can't see quotes on the podcast. But, <laughs> but, but the, the fancy <laughs> finger there. quotes are there. But they, they are. They're doing what the law requires them to do. And if they're doing what the law requires them to do, and I haven't worked out the math, I'll take other people's uh, word for it. Math is hard. <laughs> but the tithe plus the normal offerings that we would give mm-hmm. in that Old Testament setting, uh, I've heard from other preachers that it would come out to about 23% of their income as a base, as a standard. When they give their alms and they give their uh, mm-hmm. their tithe, you're talking about you're not talking about just 10% of your income. You're talking about 23% of your gross income, right. which for most of us, we look at that and like, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. We would never, you know, that's way past the standard deduction. You know, um, but Jesus sees them doing ostensibly that very thing, giving the not just you know their tithe, but giving beyond that, which would have been considered the, the minimum for somebody who's honoring God. We don't see it that way a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is saying that that's, it's not that that's bad, but she's giving so much more. She's not giving anywhere close to what they're giving, but it hurts her. There's a sacrifice right. that's right. involved. There's something that's bigger. And she didn't go in there and measure out, you know, 10% of her income. Right. She gave what she, right. yeah. literally what she could. Well, and, and back in Luke 11, <laughs> when he's um, criticizing the Pharisees and the teachers of the law for washing the outside of the cup mm-hmm. and not the inside, he's saying, you're, you're tithing on your spices, but you're neglecting the greater, the weightier matters of the law in, in caring for the poor and, and so on. And, and these acts of righteousness and justice toward others you should have kept both 
And, and Jesus never says, oh, you shouldn't have been tithing. I don't want the religious acts. What he's saying is the religious acts need to be more than religious acts. They need to be Something an extension. You check off your list. Right. It's right. a reflection of, of who you are. So as we were working through this, that, that idea uh, kind of um, came out in this um in this idea, as he looked at the at the hypocrites, you know, we back up and we we see him in in the end of twenty, starting with verse forty five, uh, saying, "Beware of the teachers of the law. They look good, but they devour widows' houses and they they make a a lengthy prayer so that they can show off their spirituality." And he ends that with, "These men will be punished most severely." So as as he saw them, he saw through the show to the true character, mm-hmm. and that I think is important for us to all recognize that when Jesus sees our worship, when he sees our religious activity, when he sees you know whatever it is, he doesn't see it the way other people see it. Yeah. Some folks might look at us and think, "Wow, they're so holy." They really got it together. And he sees past that. He sees what is unseen. Matthew 6, <clears throat> excuse me, when he's talking about how we should do our praying and how we should do our giving and how we should do our, all of our righteous acts, there's an element of secrecy that he's saying. Because if you're doing it for somebody else to see it, mm-hmm. which is how he's describing these leaders here, if you're doing that, you've received all the reward you're going to get. You're not, that, right. that isn't getting to God. You're getting temporal reward. And I hope you enjoy it because that's all you get. And he's not, you know, he had already said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your God, God your Father, glorify your Father in heaven. So he's not saying not to let people see your good works, but do it so that they glorify your Father. Not you. If you're, if you're doing it in front of them so that Look they glorify you. Look at putting this you, check in here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> then, then that's all you get. Right. You, you've maxed out. I struggle with that sometimes in the, in the band. Um I, I I played music for many years on my own, you know, played out, uh, whatever. And, and obviously, I mean, when we were up there and we have practices and everything, we want to sound good. We sure. want to we want to give God our best. Right. But I, it, I think it becomes sometimes <clears throat> more than others, a fine line of, at least for me, I have to recenter myself and yeah. think I need to stop worrying so much about what this sounds like or what's going to be cool or what's going to, you know, whatever. That's not what Absolutely. this is about. And, and I worry about that. We have because, to constantly check our hearts right, with that. But I right. especially worry about that because people are watching us yeah. and, and I mean, I don't consider myself a leader by any, by any means, but, but you are, I mean, but that's just being up there with right. even one set of eyes on you that's is, right. is, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a lot of pressure <laughs> well, to, it, to worship it, the right way. And it's easy for that to fall into performance right, mentality. Right. So when we, you know, kind of, as we're, plotting out our songs we have congregational songs mm-hmm. and we've we've made a point over the last 15 years to not say when we have a solo type thing where it, the congregation isn't par- participating vocally um, we make a point to not call that a performance song right. but a presentational song we right. want to present truth to them so i think there's, so, it, that's important sometimes to have those presentations it is but we don't want it to right. become a just a, a just a right. concert right. and you know we were just talking about um imagine worship coming and there is an element of performance in it, right. for sure. Uh, you're up in front of people and you're dancing. You're, so people, there's, people gonna be watching you, right? Um, but it has to be more than that. And that's one of the things I love about the way um, Miss Sarah handles this um, through Imagine Worship is that it takes what they're already doing in in dance arts as a studio and what they're doing, and it elevates it beyond performance to 
look, this isn't really about what they think of you. It's about being able to communicate the truth of this song right. physically. We want people to see Christ. We want people to see him and connect with the emotional reality and the factual reality that's presented in this music mm -hmm. in, in, in a way. That's so. one thing I really like, st sticking with the music things. You see some of these even you know bigger Christian bands. I just saw a video of, of Lauren Daigle, and I know Elevation does it a lot. They all just have like... I think even on their recordings, sometimes it'll say in parentheses, spontaneous worship. Mm -hmm. And they'll be like in the middle of a song and that's why they, their songs are 10 minutes long. And they'll just kind of break away from the from the structure of the song mm -hmm. and and have this moment with the crowd and go into a, an old hymn or or speaking and responding. And I think Lauren Daigle, I watched a video of her the other day where she goes, I'm just feeling it in this room right now. And they sang um, her and the whole crowd saying, I exalt thee. And just you know, oh, and I, think I so part of yeah, it. and I mean, I again, I don't know <laughs> these people's sure. hearts, right? But I do think that to me, I, I appreciate when I see, especially a Christian musician doing that. Yeah, CCM has been a huge part of my life. So, <clears throat> the, so the idea of you know contemporary Christian music back before it was cool, yeah. you know, back in the old days, the the Jesus movement mm -hmm. and a lot of the stuff that came out in the seventies influenced me greatly. So I I lived the birth and development of what we now recognize as the, the Christian music industry, which didn't exist right. so much prior to that. You, I mean, you had pockets of it, but it was specifically church music. Once they started to bring rock and roll in it, it was, you know, I remember, you know, one of the big things Larry Norman said back in way back in the day when I was still a, a young pup uh, was that he was, he was too, uh, too religious for the radio mm. and too radio for the church, right. you know, and so there is this constant tension. And there is, especially for them, even more so, because you are an artist. You are a performer. That's what you're, you're getting paid. Somebody's paying you, just right. like when you were, mm -hmm. you know, playing concert scene and stuff. Nobody you paid know, me. <laughs> theoretically. So people are paying. Wait, people get paid? People are paying attention to you. They're watching you. Right. Unless you're playing a bar and they're eating and doing their stuff. And I did paying, get free food a lot, paying which Paying no attention art. to you whatsoever. But, but you are the show. And then when you're trying to communicate spirituality through that, there is always a fine line to walk on. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's in some ways just a, a um, what do I want to say, a, an expanded picture. It's our daily life writ large. Mm -hmm. We get to see that played out because we're always on a stage. All the yes, world's a right. stage and all men are but players. So as we're doing this, we are, yeah, I'm going to throw a little Shakespeare there for you. So as we're doing. We're cultured. Like, yeah. And so <laughs> slick and smooth. But but as we're walking through life, I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, we're always in a state of performance. Every time you step point. out of the house. Right. So when we, you know, the beauty of of marriage and family is an intimacy that, that strips that away. Mm -hmm. And that's what we want to have in our worship when we're, when we're together at church. But beyond that, our family, like I can, you know, if I'm, if I'm a major celebrity or you know, you know, movie star or president of the United States or whatever else, my wife knows me. Right. She sees however it's performing in front of anybody. She she knows me. So everybody can think, oh wow, they're really cool. And I'm like, he, you don't even know. He's such a dork. You know, this guy's mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know a goofball. And and she gets to see that that internal side. Well, again, that's a kind of an illustration of the reality that. You can fool some of the people all the time and all the people some of the time, but you can't fool God any of the time. God sees who you really are, not who you want. For, the, for all of us, we have this tendency to want to portray a particular persona. Right. So 
what we want people to see, what we want to project out there, is absolutely irrelevant to God. Talk about right. super <clears throat> ultimate X-ray vision. He's seeing through to your soul, to mm-hmm. to who you truly are. So just like with these Pharisees, he saw past their show to their character, and he was warning the folks against that. He saw also with this widow, he saw past the size of the gift to the nature of the giving. Where is her heart in this? What is her purpose? Her commitment devotionally to God was not going to be changed by her circumstances. I'm going to worship God with my with my possessions, recognizing it all belongs to him. So I'm going to give to God because that's what I know in my heart is the right thing to do. If I'm broke, doesn't matter. If I'm struggling, doesn't matter. If I don't know where my, you know, where my next payment's coming from, it doesn't matter. I'm going to give. I'm going to worship God in this way. And that attitude in her was was huge it was an act of worship that the sacrifice of it was an indicator of her devotion as jesus recognized she gave more than everybody else because she gave not out of her surplus not out of her abundance but out of her poverty she gave all she had to live on and and it really does reveal our values uh in Matthew 6, Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be. Mm-hmm. Well, she demonstrated where her heart is by showing where her treasure is. She, she was giving to God, bringing it to the temple, putting it into the storehouse, giving it up. Now, she had the same issues, or could have had, would have had, should have had the same issues that we would have. Right. People use it as a cowboy. Well, I don't know where they're going to spend that money. You know, I can, I can give my money to God without giving it to the church. Well, no, you really can't. Because if I'm controlling what God does with my money, then I'm not really giving it up. I'm saying I'm giving it up, but God sees past that. She had to, had to in faith, give this to the temple treasury, treasury, treasury. trusting that when she gave it to the temple treasury, that the priests and the Levites would do the right things with it. You hear that all the time when it comes to giving money to um, the homeless or yeah. people panhandling oh, I don't on know. the street. I don't know. They're, they're going to go buy drugs, drugs or whatever. whatever. Right. Okay. Well, if they, if that's not my, that's not my issue. Well, I mean, right. I, that's not where my heart was in giving it. And to that them. doesn't mean that you give to everybody right. all the time. Right. There is a, there is a discernment with but people idea, you have a relationship right, with and right. you know what's best for them, that right. you do what's best. But you're right. That issue, that has more to do with my heart right. than it does with them. If that's my concern, right. then I need to really take a look. Am I, am I really concerned for them? Am I, am I, or am I being tight-fisted? Mm-hmm. Because if I'm really concerned for them... Or am them, I judging them? Am I judging them, right. If, if that's the case, because there are a whole lot of homeless people out there who have nothing like that story. They're not criminals. They're just in a bad situation. And there are also tons of them who are in that situation, and and many who are scammers. I mean, there's a report that came out a few years ago showing these basically grifters who choose to live homeless, but they have a lot of opportunity. So we don't know. The issue is where is your heart? God sees that. When you give... What God is judging is what's going on on the inside, not on the outside. He's not looking at the size of your gift. He's not looking even necessarily at, at who you're giving it to. Mm-hmm. But what's the nature? What's the the heart of your giving? And what they do with it, He can look at them for. But Absolutely. what you're doing with it and your and your purpose for that, that's on you. Right. And so that that's a big deal. And then he goes from that, uh, and and that was kind of what caught my attention. Is from that he goes right back into. Some of the disciples are remarking about 
how beautiful the temple is. I'm like, mm. well, that seems abrupt. That's a weird. Why would these things be together? There's an incongruity between these stories. And yet, when you pan back and you look at it a little bit, you pan out, you see, you can see yeah. that there's, there's a connection. Okay, so there's, a, there's an appearance mm-hmm. with these religious leaders that doesn't match. There's an appearance here and a difference in the giving that, that isn't the reality. And then you jump into, <laughs> right after he says this, they're remarking on, look how beautiful the temple is with its gemstones right. and, the, and the, all these gifts in the treasury. And Jesus is like, um, yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Did you just hear any of this? And, and this may not have been a direct right. um, chronological like, jump. Right. It appears to be that when he looks up and sees them, because well. there's a, as he looks up, you know, he sees this. Um, but one way or another, conceptually, Luke is putting this together under the guidance For of the Holy reason. Spirit, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we see that they're saying, you know, this is beautiful, it's awesome, it's it's strong and lasting. Look at the greatness of the temple. And that was a major pride for, for people in Israel. We have the temple of God. Uh, even though it was built by Herod, it was not, you know, this was not Solomon's temple. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the truth of worship had gone away. And that's what Jesus sees. He says, look, I'm telling you, there's going to come a day here when this is all going to be thrown down. Every part of this is going to be destroyed because it's not about what seems to be so enduring and impressive. It's about the reality of it. And the worship of God, the reason that you have this temple, has gone out the window. The, The spirit has departed, so to speak. And you're going through the motions and you've got this beautiful facade of a building, but that's not the point. So, you know, just like you saw past the outward appearance of the Pharisees, and he saw the, past the outward appearance of, of that gift. He also saw through the presentation here at the temple to the purpose. And he recognized, because he's Jesus, he, you know, he sees that, that not everything that looks beautiful and sacred is beautiful and sacred. And so he's, God's not impressed by the same stuff that we're impressed by. Mm-hmm. So when we are worshiping, when we're doing our acts of righteousness and our spirituality, we got to recognize there's nothing wrong. The temple wasn't bad. Right. Jesus didn't condemn the temple. And he doesn't condemn, he never, interestingly, condemns religious activity. Sometimes we act in the evangelical world like, like he did. Jesus isn't opposed to that. The high church things that, that uh, are not my background, but that we see from, from older mainline denominations, it's not that the rituals in themselves are inherently bad. Some are, some are, are not uh, pointing to Christ. But the, the, the struggle that we run into is the same struggle that, that Israel ran into that we see here in the, in the, the Gospels. Is, and, and honestly, even after this, uh, after the church was growing, you know, we get past the, um, this early, uh, past Christ's earthly ministry and we see the church exploding as the Holy Spirit's there. They still have this tendency to go back to empty ritual. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it's an old saying that a number, I don't know where it originated, but a number of people have um, quoted it, and I love it myself, that there's a, there's a beauty in tradition. There's a difference between tradition and traditionalism. Tradition, <laughs> tradition is the living faith of the dead. Right. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. Mm. That's the difference between it. And so Jesus is, is really pointing out here that ritual must reflect reality. There, there has to be a connection. 
we take communion once a month at our church, and, and some do it every week, some do it more than once a week, uh, and some do, some only do it quarterly or even right. yearly, right. which is unthinkable to me. <clears throat> but the reason that we don't do it more often is our tendency to become callous to it. We want it to feel special, um, but we want to not go far between it. So I think if you know, and it's. It's our preference. We do it once a month for that reason. We could do it more often. Um, there's a movement among the young Reformed uh, preachers and churches that are out there that, that moving more toward it every week. I'd, we're not probably going to do that anytime here, at least not in the foreseeable future. But we do want to make sure that whether it's the the sermon or the the ceremony or the songs, we want all of this to reflect the reality of Christ, to connect from from the ritual, it needs to actually build in us, and it needs to fulfill its purpose. And and he also points out that external things are passing. It's mm-hmm. not just about the way this temple looks. None of that matters. None it's of it all going to burn. Right. It, it it's got to go. And everything we you know we have recently we've talked about it on here a few times. We recently acquired um, a, a permanent church building that was built in '68, and that um, this building has a lot of old stuff and right. decay that. You know, you just got to deal with it. Eventually, it's all going to come down. Mm-hmm. Since that time, we've acquired a second oh, camp, campus, older. so to speak. Yeah, a building built in 1898. And what were you doing in 1898? Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I was thinking of great comebacks for podcasts. So, in 1898, back when I built the church, <laughs> um, it. That was it was new, it was fresh, it right. was great. It's not now. And it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's historic. Yeah, right. It's not contemporary. Right. And it also wasn't useful. Right. There's a reason we didn't get buy that church or for take that main, church right. before this right. because it doesn't function for what we're doing. Mm-hmm. But it is a beautiful church. We just had a beautiful thing. wedding there last weekend. Yes, you we know, did. My, and my my son and my new wonderful daughter in law. Kayla was so. watching, so hi Kayla. Um, they're on their honeymoon right now, so we're very glad to join. <laughs> very, uh, yeah. uh, thanks for inviting us on your honeymoon. But uh, and it, and it was beautiful. It was great. Yeah. But it's old. Yeah. Things of this world get old. Mm-hmm. I trust me. I was around in eighteen. I wasn't going to make another so, joke. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like anyhow, like Ricky wasn't going to make a short joke about Kayla, but. You should never make inside jokes on a podcast about something that happened at a wedding reception that nobody knows about. So anyhow. Like you just did? Like I just did. Oh. Just like that. <laughs> so the ritual has to reflect the reality. We need to recognize the passing nature of the temporal external things as opposed to the unseen eternal things that are that are greater. And truthfully, you were just talking about, you know, things getting old and decaying or whatever. Frankly, it doesn't. I, I, correct me if I'm wrong. It doesn't matter if you keep something shiny and new forever. It's still gonna come down. That's right. It, it, it all it doesn't will. matter how good it looks. And and if we don't have those things happening on the inside, and this is what Jesus is saying with the temple. The temple wasn't old. It was beautiful. It was great. It was in their minds timeless. Mm-hmm. And Jesus saw that it had missed its point. It's, mm-hmm. They they had lost the plot, and so he is voicing even as he's weeping over Jerusalem coming in and as he cleanses the temple from the money changers. And then here again, we see this echo here that uh, Jesus recognizes that a pretty corpse is still dead. You can dress it up. You can have all the gemstones. It can look the part. You can have all the great, you know, all of the, the forms of worship. But if you don't have the function of connecting with God, it's dead. Well, we even touched on that last week when we were talking about um, 
maybe it's a couple of weeks ago. Even our our own bodies, we get older, we decay, we we trust me. We, I, <laughs> things I, start I feel to, you working a joke here. I'm not. I wasn't going to. Yeah. Things start to break down and yeah. and whatever else. And that's if that's not a picture of you know we can be you can be the most powerful person in the world. You still gonna die. That's right. Everybody. So, and there's no dignity in it. Right. Because in the end, everybody gets dumped in a hole. Right. That's just how it works. Or burned up. Or, or burned whatever. up and dumped on the ground. Right. It's or now not, you can be a better. tree. Right. <laughs> and and we act like this is such a right you know oh that's so beautiful it's death is it it's not so beautiful right. and it's not supposed to be right. it, it becomes beautiful in the resurrection which is why the history and tradition of the christian church has been burial <laughs> as a symbol of our hope of resurrection the reason of her death is sin right and that's not beautiful <laughs> that's right there was no death in eden right and, and that's when it came so right. Uh, we're way over. So that's an important thing. For, in, in a nutshell, we just need to recognize that, that no matter how much we might fool ourselves into thinking that we're good or fool other people into thinking that we're good, God sees past all that. And on, on the encouraging side, when we think, gosh, I'm such a failure, mm-hmm. he's not seeing the external mm-hmm. as much as seeing the internal. That's, right. He sees all of that. Because you are so, going, we are going to mess up. That's right. Yeah, we're going to fall, and we just have to get up. And apart from the gospel, apart from the, the substitution that Jesus made for us, dying in our place, there is no hope. Right. But because of that substitutionary atonement, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, so that we could become the righteousness of God, we have unending hope. Mm-hmm. No matter how much we blow it, we still have hope because Christ did this for us. And that's reality. We'll end it there. We are a little bit over. That's becoming kind of a theme. We're going to end that theme. (laughs) Thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you next time.